Welcome to the Living Parables Podcast, where we uncover spiritual truth and lessons God has given us through His Word and our own life stories. I am Nate, your host. To all the listeners tuning in the show today, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I appreciate every single one of you, and now let us begin. Well, I'd like to welcome you back to a brand new week, brand new episode. I thank you for joining me today. appreciate your time. Today is a day that I've been longing for for quite some time. The study today is called A Famine of God's Word, and this has rung true to me now more than ever. And we will get into that in here in just a minute, but just a little bit of a background here. So during the time I was off taking a break from the podcast, focusing on some studies. It wasn't like I was crawling in a dark hole and just chilling out watching TV 24 hours a day, but it was a time to rejuvenate, get some things done that I needed to get done, but also it was a really eye-opening time in which I met some new people that shed some light on an, a really important issue that the church and people as a whole are dealing with today. So, which again segues us back into today's study, which is called A Famine of God's Word. I want you all to turn with me to Amos 8.11. Amos 8.11, Old Testament. And this particular scripture is one that is a very eye-opening, soul-piercing scripture that will challenge us, will open our spiritual eyes to the battle that truly is taking place as we speak. And so without any further delay, let's go ahead and read Amos 8.11. It says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine for bread or a thirst for water, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord. So we could stop there, but I want to go to verse 12 as well, because it is so fitting. Listen to verse 12. People will stagger from sea to sea and from the north, even to the east. They will go to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. If that doesn't scare you, nothing will. And I want to share with you a story that I had of two people that I have come to know in the last few months. No, they don't go to church with me. But rather... I met them in the workplace and both of them with different backgrounds, different conversations, different church experiences had the exact same problem. So the first conversation I had went a little something like this. I was in a church and the church was so focused on money, it was focused on pews, it was focused on carpet, the stained glass windows, and I felt a real disconnect from the Word of God. And when I heard that conversation, I was trying to listen more than speak. And that's what I've also been trying to do lately as well, has been let people speak to me and me just really practice hard at listening. And as I was listening, I felt a stir inside of my heart, which led me to this scripture. Because it wasn't just this conversation, it was another conversation prior to that. This person and their spouse were at a church and they were so focused on 
the music, the bank accounts, how to get people in, rather than being true to sound doctrine, preaching the Word of God in an expository way, and letting God take the lead. And both conversations led me to this very sad and eye-opening conclusion that this world that we are living in right now, and even some churches right now, have a severe famine of the Word of God. And so, as we start to dig deep into the study, let me give you the definition of a famine. A famine is an extreme scarcity of food or scarcity in general. An extreme hunger or starvation. It's mostly related to food, but there can be a famine of water as well. And that's kind of what we're going to base it on today is food and water, okay? People today, whether they know it or not, are suffering from a deadly, soul-destroying famine. A famine of hearing the words of God. See, when I had these conversations with these people, it really opened my spiritual eyes to something brand new. And I'll tell you what was going inside my mind. Now, I have spent too much time worrying about people in, in as far as them not accepting Christ, not understanding why they won't accept Christ, why they won't come to prayer groups, why they won't do this, they won't do that. And it really hit me like a ton of bricks that people just don't know. They don't know. And I'll tell you, knowledge of God, knowledge of Jesus Christ is something that is taken for granted. And why is that? Because I have grown up in the church, heavily involved in the church, study out the scriptures, and I used to study the scripture in a real surface level type of way. And now that I'm studying it deeper and deeper and having much more of a rich understanding, there are times where I, I guess I assume that people have roughly the same knowledge that I have acquired over the years. And that's just not the case because I have one last story for you. The other story was similar to the other two. And that on a Wednesday night youth group, we were going over John chapter three, which we've all went through before. And that's when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about the new birth. And lo and behold, this lady and her seven-year-old daughter show up. And they were looking for the other youth group and they weren't having it because they haven't started it back up yet. So I said, well, I'm, I apologize, but you know, you're more than welcome to stay here and, and study with us if you want. And they accepted. And as I was going throughout the study, scriptures will explain scriptures. The meaning that you'll find in the scripture is not through man. It's not through a church. The meaning of the scripture is the actual scriptures itself. So when I went to the new birth, I was I jumped over to Romans, I jumped over to Ephesians and connected the dots there. And so at the end, the lady that was in the study had several wonderful questions and 
as she was going about it, she kept saying that she's a baby Christian and the church that she went to was not teaching the word of God and she wasn't really getting spiritually fed. And so she was trying different churches out. And then as she came to this particular study, because she had been coming to the church for a few weeks and having come to the study on accident, which there are no accidents because God is sovereign over all things and he, he guides our footsteps. And so we had a really good conversation and the same thing came to my mind that there is such a famine of God's word that people just don't know. Friends, they don't know. And it's up to us. It's up to us to share the gospel with them, to open up the scriptures with them, and to teach them. Because it all goes back to Matthew 28, 18 through 20, which, as you are well familiar with, is the Great Commission. And it says this, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Here it is, verse 20, Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Teaching them. Let me say something right now to you all, to each and every person listening to this right now. If you are a born-again, believing Christian in Jesus Christ, and you have been studying Scripture, even if you're not a scholar, even if you're not a youth minister, even if you're a nobody, quote-unquote, a nobody in the church, which you, if you think you're a nobody, you really are somebody. Everybody has a very significant role in the church. And so with that, it is your duty to go and teach people. Maybe you want to hold a Bible study in your house. Maybe it's only a two or three people tops. I'm telling you, success is not measured in numbers. And, you know, one of the things that I had to do during this time of a sabbatical is I had an opportunity to speak to a person that was going to go through a very, very, very difficult time. And I had no idea if they knew God at all. I had no idea if they were going to receive what I was going to say at all. But I had two choices. I remember sitting in my, in my car and I was wondering, am I going to do this or not? So option A, I go and I share the gospel of Christ with this person and they they can reject it and they can hate me for it and never talk to me again or I just don't do it. But I didn't I didn't take an account for the third option. The option of doing it going to teach her to tell her about Christ and her accepting it. So I had a choice to make. Either I do it or I don't. And the thought that was going through my mind is, if it's not me, then who? Because you remember my story. I told you a long time ago, and I've I've brought it up multiple times. But nobody outside of my father has approached me as an unbeliever. And that's all the years I've been in the workplace. I mean, I've been working since basically about 20 years old, 19, 20 years old around there. And so we're talking, you know, at this point in my life, pretty close to pretty close to 20 years. No one has approached me. Do you know who Jesus Christ is? Can I share with you the good news? Nobody has done that. And I say that because that terrifies me to no end. Praise be to God that I have a father who shared with me the gospel and taught me everything I know. But most households do not do that. But you know, that goes back to what we talked about with the family. The family is supposed to be and as ordained by God to be 
a husband, a wife, and they pass the righteousness of God down to their children, teaching us all about Jesus Christ and who he is and deep, rich spiritual truth about him. And I'll tell you, that is the most precious, most wonderful gift that my father has ever given me. And I still tell him to this day how grateful I am that he has done that for me. And now I'm doing the same thing to my children, and I'm doing it for you now. I just have a different platform. And no, I'm not doing this for money. You're not going to hear ads on my podcast episodes. You're not going to hear those things. I'm not doing this for money. I'm doing this out of sheer love and devotion to Jesus Christ. And because, friends, this goes beyond money. This goes beyond wealth. So going back to my point, this lady that I was talking to ended up giving me the biggest hug. And a detail that I left out is that she was just about ready to go through chemotherapy because she had cancer. So I say this to you because there might be situations in which you might have to get a little uncomfortable. And it may result in people not wanting to have anything to do with you ever again. But we cannot sit idly by with a knowledge of who Jesus is, a knowledge of the scriptures, and ignore dying souls. Because that's what's at stake. Because we are in a great famine of God's word. We don't have faithful people teaching others about the word of God. There are a lot of people right now today that do teach based off of emotions. What do the scriptures mean to you? What is God really trying to say here? I think this is what God says. Or only church leadership can authenticate and confirm and accurately dictate what God says. And that's just not true. If you are a true believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, who is the revealer and the illuminator of the Word of God. Now, are all of us perfect? Absolutely not. We all need help in understanding Scripture. But as far as the people in general go, that maybe have been to church here and there, and you know they might have went when they were younger, but nothing really stuck, and so they left. And now they're a little bit older and starting to find out that you know their health is going to start failing them, and this life that they thought was full of hope and full of truth and full of everything they ever imagined it to be that would satisfy their inner longings and finding out that it doesn't, they start asking different questions and really trying to seek out truth. And where are you going to find it? Where are you going to find it? Go into church and see that the truth is very hard to come by. And I had someone just recently ask me, I'm looking for a church to go. Where do I go? What do I look for? The first thing, stay away from any type of denomination. Stay away from any type of denomination. Why? They are all founded by man. 
True Christianity has no man to link it to. Only accept Jesus Christ. That's how you know it's authentic, true, divine, and real. Everything else is man-made. So I'm going to get off this uh, pulpit here for a minute. And we're going to come back down to the main study here. A family of God's word. And friends, I tell you these stories because, you know, on the living parables, we primarily focus on the word of God, but there are stories that we do have that correlate to studies that we found in scripture. And so that is very important as well. We go through things on a daily basis, and I pray that you're being bold for the Lord wherever you're at. So. We're going to go over a few points here. So we went over what a famine is. And so we're going to talk about what a spiritual famine is now. So we earlier talked about what the worldly definition of a famine is. And now we're going to talk about the definition of a famine of God's word. A famine of God's word is an extreme scarcity of hearing God's word, an extreme hunger for the word, and lastly, an extreme scarcity of true biblical teachings that are not man-made ideologies of what they think the Bible means. And friends, that is more of a pandemic now than any famine that has hit the world in history. And now that we have the spiritual definition of a famine of God's word, let's go ahead now and look at some worldly placebos that try to take the place of the real authentic thing. So, a worldly placebo, like I just said, is that the world claims to have the answers and remedies to our soul's hunger and thirst, but truth be told, worldly substitution cannot remedy spiritual famine. Here is what the world tricks you into believing that will stop the famine. The first one is money. Is money. Turn with me now to Ecclesiastes 5.10. Ecclesiastes 5.10. This is what it says. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. You will not be satisfied with money ever. And so I will just leave you with this quick thought on this. Money is a means to our survival on this earth. We need to provide income for our families we need to put food on the table, a roof over our heads. But if you really break it down to its simplest terms, the things that we have in our house, other than clothes, food, and water, everything else is a cherry on top. Laptops, TVs, gaming systems, phones, the list goes on and on. All those are the cherry on top blessings. And it gets, also goes to show you that how much we take for granted in this country what we actually have because the person who has a roof over their head, a job, a vehicle, a phone, food on the table every day, and water, 
are richer than most people in this planet. And so our minds have to change and focus on spiritual things versus worldly things because the worldly placebo tries to tell you money is going to solve that problem that the word of God can really only fix. But you know, the world says this is going to solve it more than that. I want you to go to first Timothy six, first Timothy six. And we're going to look at verses nine and 10. It says, but those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires will plunge men into ruin and destruction for the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Friends, I'm here to tell you, I've had been part of Bible studies in which people have been coming for years, for years. And they walk away because of money. They pierce themselves with many griefs. They fall into temptations. And many foolish and harmful desires plunge them into ruin and destruction. And some people get this verse confused. In verse 10 where it says, For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil. Some people have twisted that and they think that the money is a root of all evil. No. No, no. The love of money. If you love something more than God, what is that called? It's idolatry. Money is the biggest idol in this world outside of ourselves. So if you want to get rich, better be careful because you will fall into temptation. And the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Think of think of the evil that comes from money. And we're not going to go there, but boy, you look at these shows, you look at these people that maybe you've seen with the suits and the fancy hair, everything is in place and in order. They seem like they have their life all together and they live in these big fancy houses with these vaulted ceilings that are probably as tall as my house and it's it gets you to the point you're like boy they must have it right they must have everything figured out i want to be like them then come to find out that they've been divorced three times they have no relationship with their kids church is but an afterthought god is is a laughable myth that is on the lines of Santa Claus that tries to just get you to be a good boy and good girl for mom and daddy. And I'll tell you what, true wealth is not measured by what you have in your bank account. But rather, what are you treasuring? Are you treasuring the things of this earth? Are you treasuring Christ? Are you storing up treasures in heaven? Or are you storing up wealth in an account? Let's go on to worldly placebo number two. Ungodly relationships. Ungodly relationships. Please turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 4.3. 1 Thessalonians 4.3. It says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality. And we've talked about this before. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because we have hit this hard. But sexual immorality is anything or any relationship 
sexually outside of God-ordained marriage between a husband and a wife, a man and a woman, period. It doesn't get any clearer than that, and that's all I'm going to say, to say on that subject. But I will say, that I want to challenge you to go to the book of Leviticus, and I want you to go to the 18th chapter. Not today, not right now, but on your own time, I want you to go to Leviticus 18, and, and it will have all the laws on immoral relations. So if you want to look at that deeper, look at Leviticus 18. There is a total of 30 verses, and it goes from different things, different scenarios. And so, again, that's where I would challenge you to go to find a little more on that type of immorality. But I want to go to Galatians 5, 19 through 20, which is right behind the fruits of the Holy Spirit. So Galatians 5, 19 and 20 says this. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, there it is, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. Now, I hit that on top of the head for a specific purpose. Now, I want you to look at verse 21 here for a minute because I know that kind of stopped abruptly. It says, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Now, this is the part that I want you to highlight here. Of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You're not going to inherit the kingdom of God if you do those things. And that is our world right now. You have to be so careful what you do. That's why the Bible says, be careful as you walk, how you live. Any relationship that conducts itself contrary to the will of God and His commands is an ungodly relationship. People say now today, oh, hey, um, my girlfriend and I are going to get an apartment together. We're going to start living together. You're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to do that. Well, why not? Because you're not married yet. And I'm not a fool, and I'm not under any illusion that people who live together don't just sleep in separate rooms and are just really great roommates. They're probably doing other things. I'm not going to go into that in detail, but it's not okay for people to live with each other before they are married. It is wrong. And then people will say to the pastor who is counseling them, oh, I, I feel that this is the will of God that we are supposed to be together. Really? So living in direct opposition of the will of God is the will of God? I don't think so. So we have to be careful with those things. And what we tend to do in those relationships, because we're basing everything in the beginning off emotion and feelings and attractions, that we disregard what God says. And don't you think he knows what works in a marriage and what doesn't work, especially in a relationship? you got to be careful with that. Let's go to the third worldly placebo, and that is materialism. Materialism. So please turn with me to 1 John 2.16, in which you already know this because we've quoted this many, many times. Many, many times. 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world... The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. Friends, those are things we lust for. We don't do we lust for the things of God? Do we lust for his word? No. We lust for better cars, bigger TVs. Any type of adult toy that you could think of that would be like, I don't know, maybe like the newest virtual reality game system. You know what I'm saying? Stuff like that. The newest phone. The most 
new up-to-date laptop that can do so many things. I, the, the list goes on and on. But we lust after those things. We want those things. We desire those things more than God. And one of the and you're you're kind of you're going to be kind of ecstatic here because we don't go into the Old Testament quite a bit and I'm I'm trying to change that. But listen to Exodus 20:17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. But that's what we do. We look at Bob down the street and he's driving this 2022, put your name in there, your favorite car you want to in there. Oh, I got to have that. And you go over there and they see that he bought a drone. Well, I got to buy a drone too. Well, he's got, he's got this motorcycle. Oh, I got to get a motorcycle. Do you see what I'm saying? We we try so hard to act like it doesn't bother us, but we really do at times envy other people and what they have because we don't have those things. That's all materialism. And you know, materialism really is a byproduct of a dangerous sin of idolatry. And what does the Bible say about idolatry? And we talked about this many times on this show. But 1 Corinthians 10, 14. You want to know what to do with idolatry? Really simple. Matter of fact, six words. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee from it. Run away. What would you do if you were walking down the street and you came across a gang of thugs with baseball bats and all those things that you typically see in the movies, but that sometimes those things really do happen? Would you go up to them and strike up a conversation, ask them to hang out? No, but that's what we do with sin. No, what you should do is you turn and run the other way as fast as you can and never look back. That's what idolatry is. But we want to flirt with it. We want to hang out with it. And once again, the biggest form of idolatry is ourselves. We elevate self above God, where we absolutely do not belong. But the world wants to tell you to go as high as you can, to get that respect, to get that fear from people. Which leads us to worldly placebo number four, self, self. Boy, oh boy, are we lovers of self. So I want you to listen to 2 Timothy 3, 1 and 2. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy. Boy, doesn't that sound a lot like our world today? Oh, and by the way, the subtitle for that passage of scripture says difficult times will come. Hmm. Aren't we in some difficult times right now? I think so. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5.15. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. We as believers do not live for ourselves any longer. We live for Christ, who died and rose again on our behalf. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. By the way, in six verses later, it talks about he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. Ring a bell? We no longer live for ourselves. He is our righteousness. But what does the world tell us to do? Live for yourself. Do you. 
Speak your truth. And one of the scariest verses is Luke 9, 24 and 25. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Those are the people that live for themselves. But whoever loses his life for Christ's sake, those are the people that no longer live for themselves, they live for Christ, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world, remember the rest, and yet loses or forfeits his soul? Why would you gain the whole world yet forfeit your soul? That's the result. That's the consequence. You know, the world says to speak your own truth, to live your best life now, to do you, self-care first, and then you can take care of others. The Bible never commands us to love ourselves, but rather to love others as ourselves, put others above ourselves, and to love God above all. Money, relationships, materialism, and self can all fall under the umbrella of idolatry. The enemy tempts us with idols to keep us as far away as possible from God. But his mission is to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan's mission is to steal, kill, and destroy. The worldly placebo effect is in full force today. So, you have the placebo of the world trying to convince you that the word, word of God is archaic, it's outdated, it's out of, out of sight, out of mind, doesn't apply today. So here are these things that will fill you, that will satisfy you, but it leaves us empty. So what is the remedy? So what is the remedy? It's really simple. It's really simple. Are you ready for it? The remedy is to read or hear the word of God. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Colossians 3, 16, one of my favorites. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. James 1, 21 in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. James 1.22, prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers. So those are just some rapid fire scriptures. But let us look now at the beauty, the truth, the splendor, the magnificence and importance of scripture. I have compiled these scriptures over the course of a massive study on the famine of the word of God. And I cannot wait to share them with you. And I'm telling you, I'm going to give you two choices right now. You can either a, you can just listen or B, you can follow along with your Bibles, which I would prefer you to read with me in, in these scriptures. But we're going to be in two specific places, Psalm 19 and Psalm 119. And I'm telling you, as a believer, to my fellow believers in Christ, these scriptures are going to make your heart sing. They're going to cause you to worship God in such a way that you are just going to be blown away by the magnificence of Scripture. Listen to this. We're in Psalm 19. And we're not going to read through the whole entire chapter, nor are we getting 119, because if we're going to read 119 all the way through, we'd be here for about another hour or so. But Psalm 19, verse 7. Listen, 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 listen. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. It is perfect. It restores the soul. Listen to verse 8. 
The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Verse 10, they are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Man, isn't that just awesome so far? This is the Word of God. All these scriptures are about the Word of God. Verse 11. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. Doesn't the Bible warn us many, many times how to live, how we ought not to live? In keeping them, there is great reward. Let's look at verse 13. Verse 13 says, Also... Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless. Now, are you ready for Psalm 19 to be over with? No, neither am I. Because verse 14 needs to be our heart cry, our soul's cry. It says, let the words of my mouth... And the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Now let's jump to Psalm 119, verses 1 and 2. How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Do you walk in the law of the Lord? Do you walk in his word? Because if you do, you're blessed. Verse 2, how blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all of their heart. Let us seek him with all of our hearts. Let's look at verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? How can any person keep their way pure? Here it is. By keeping it according to your word. What's, what's this talking about here? How can a young man keep his way pure, his life pure, the way he lives pure? He keeps it by according to God's word. Listen to verse 11. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. We need to treasure God's word so we don't sin against him. Verse 18. Open my eyes. Not our physical eyes, people. Our spiritual eyes. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Oh, there's so many wonderful things in Scripture. Amen? Verse 25, My soul cleaves to the dust. Revive me according to your word. His word revives us. Verse 28, My soul weeps because of grief. Over what? Because of our sin. Because of our wretched, sinful selves. That war against the flesh that we read about in Romans 7. My soul weeps because of grief. Strengthen me according to your word. We get strength from his word. Verse 41. May your loving kindness also come to me, O Lord. Your salvation according to your word. Verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. We must meditate on the Word of God all day long. That's why I have such a problem with people who say meditation is a really good stress relief because you just empty your mind because that's what we believe. However, if you empty your mind, who knows what of this world will fill it? Let's look at Verse 103, how sweet are your words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Next verse, 104, for your precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. From God's word, we get understanding. Understanding of him, understanding how we are supposed to live, understanding how we're supposed to treat people. And then it then transforms our minds to hate every false way. Verse 116. 
Sustain me according to your word that I may live. And do not let me be ashamed of my hope. The word of God sustains us. Do you see what this is, ladies and gentlemen? And we're not done yet, but are you are you seeing the need of Scripture in our lives in this land that is destitute, that is barren of God's Word? God's Word is a never-ending, pure oasis of spiritual truth in this desolate land of lies, falsehood, and unbelief. Listen to verse 140. It gets even better. Your word is very pure. Therefore, your servant loves it. Do you love the word of God? I do. I do. Listen to 142. Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and your law is truth. And verse 160, the sum of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. Whew. How do you feel now? How do you feel now? You feel better? I do. I mean, that stuff is just what my soul needs. So as we start to conclude, what are the responsibilities of the believer? What are the responsibilities of the believer? Let's look at number one here. Number one, we must continue in his word. John 8, 31 says, So Jesus was saying to the Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. If you continue in my word. If you do that, then you are truly disciples of mine. And the Greek with truly disciples of mine is mathetes for disciples, alethos. True, the real deal. Are you continuing in his word? Number two, we must continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3.18 says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let's look at Number three, we must abide in Christ the vine. We must abide in Christ the vine. So please now turn with me to John 15. And maybe you already beat me there because you know in John where it talks about the vine. So here, Jesus is talking and in John 15, we're going to go 1 through 11. And I know this is going to be a little bit longer as we're starting to conclude this, but this is so important. Listen to this. We must abide in Christ. That's This is number three. Here we go. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them, cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, 
and so prove to be my disciples. How do we prove that we are his disciples? That we bear much fruit. How do we bear fruit? We abide in the vine. We abide by the words of Christ. Verse 9, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. If you, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. That's number three. Number four, we depend and rely fully on Christ and his teachings. Please turn with me to Matthew chapter four, verses three and four. It says, and the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, Command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Whenever Christ was tempted, he always responded with Scripture. As should we. Our speech should always be Scripture. Every situation that we come across, any difficulty, any trial, any challenge, any good thing, any praise should be responded with Scripture. And last but certainly not least, number five, the last responsibility of the believer is that we preach Christ as Lord. 2 Corinthians Chapter 4, verse 5. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Brothers and sisters, as we conclude this study of a famine of the Word of God, it is quite evident to me that it's not so much that people disregard God is that they just flat don't know. And it is our job to fulfill the great commission that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ gave to us in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And that's what I'm going to end with today. I know I already read it, but I'm going to read it one last time. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So, brothers and sisters, there is a horrible famine of God's word. People need to hear the words of God. And you know what? I challenge you also, as I did earlier, to read in Leviticus 18. I also challenge you to read the 19th chapter of Psalms and also chapter 119. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, when I read those and I just read them again, Boy, I tell you what, that just empowers me, strengthens me, and encourages me to keep fighting the good fight. And may you now, with that knowledge, be understanding that if you have the knowledge of Scripture, if you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, you have understanding of who He is of the only source of truth. We read in Psalm 119, the sum of your word is truth. 
Let us take what we have learned today to apply it and then go out into this dead and dying world who's barren of God's word, full of desolation, and let us go share the truth of Christ and the truth of Scripture to them. Because we are the hope of the world. We are the light of the world. Is it because of us personally? No. It is because of who lives within us. Christ Jesus, our Lord, the Holy Spirit. Let us take what we've learned today and allow it to sanctify us and motivate us and exhort us into going out in this world and fulfilling the Great Commission. I appreciate you all so much today. Thank you for joining me. I pray that the Lord blesses and keeps you and gives you peace. And remember, my brothers and sisters, that everything is in Christ, with Christ, and for Christ. And until next time, God bless you, my friends.